a listener production. Hi, 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 hi. Hello. Yes, hi. Oh, I see you over there. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Stop, stop, stop. Thank you guys so much. Welcome to come out wherever you are. This is a safe space for curious people to learn more about the coming out experience. So, congratulations. You are now a part of this beautiful community. And because this is a podcast about the coming out experience, it is only fair that I go first. My name is Sean Zepps. My pronouns are he, him, and I am fabulously gay. I first came out in early 2000 when I was 12 years old, and I last came out exactly an hour and a half ago. Uh, Actually talking to my very best friend from home, we're having a nuanced conversation about their sexuality, and they just asked me to kind of share if I had had an evolution because we hadn't talked about it in a long time. So coming out is not just for people you've never met before. Today, we are welcoming a brand new member to the Come Out Wherever You Are family, Jeff. Jeff, please introduce yourself. Tell us when you first came out and when you last came out. Hi, my name is Jeff Vanderzant. Um, my pronouns are he, him. I am in my 30s and I first came out when I was, I think I was 16. And I last came out probably in the last year at some point, but I can't remember an exact date. Jeff Vanderzant is a creative art director, a designer, and a TikTok superstar. Jeff started his TikTok last year as a bit of an experiment. But after posting a video impersonating Scott Morrison at a press conference, his account blew up. Since then, he's made a name for himself, dancing and lip syncing to COVID press conferences, and his videos have been liked more than 2 million times. He's been interviewed on the ABC, Pedestrian TV, The Project, and there's even a mural of him painted in Melbourne. And just a heads up before we dive in. Oftentimes, when talking about the coming out experience, we focus on the person and their experience. But we don't always dive in to the cultural makeup or the background of the person that they are coming out to. So we just hear how they responded and that's it. For this conversation, the cultural makeup of Jeff's parents are actually really valuable. Jeff is Dutch-Filipino. His dad is Dutch and his mom is Filipino. So when you're listening, I think that's helpful information. All right. Here's Jeff. Talk to me a little bit about who you are. Where did you grow up? (laughs) Who I am? That is such a big question. I don't even know. Uh, Maybe go ask my therapist. (laughs) Um, I grew up in Canberra, um, the capital of Australia, which no one knows. Um, but, you know, it felt like a, a very small town, so I wanted to get out of there as soon as I could. Um, mm. So I left there and moved to Melbourne maybe about 10 years ago. Um, yeah, I just turned 22, I think. Um, and, yeah, I've been here ever since. What was camera like for a young queer person? Uh, there was one gay bar that I remember going to when I was 18 called Cube. Um, and it was tiny, like, you know, Cube, it was the size of a cube. Like it was just one tiny dance floor. Mm. I don't feel like I had a very big queer experience in Canberra um, because I feel like I only really kind of came out a couple of years before I left. Mm. So I was really like, you know, I went to Cube a couple of times, but I was only really there for about two or three years after I'd come out. Because I'm American, um, I've only lived here for four years. Um, my experience in Sydney and Melbourne are defined. I have been to Canberra a couple of times, but if we're backtracking into the 90s or even late 80s, is there a, a lot of diversity in Canberra enough that if you were different, a minority, a queer person, that it would be more or less accepting than a major city? Um, it, I, I would probably say slightly less accepting only because it does have that kind of small town mentality. Mm. Um, but on the flip side of that, like I knew, you know, when you go to that gay club, you kind of get to know a lot of the people much faster because there's just few of them. So you kind of, you sure. do get to build a build a community and like know more people quicker in mm. that kind of scenario. But um, in terms of just, you know, acceptance and, and diversity, it probably wasn't high um, on that list. Okay. Now, that's the outside world. Um, inside, in, within your family, 
growing up, um, did you ever hear about a gay person or lesbians? Like, was there talk in your family about what that was or what it meant? So um, there totally was, but it's mainly because I've got two older sisters who are kind of both 20 years older than me, Mm. um, so a lot older. Um, And they both moved to Sydney when I was quite young um, and they started living, one of them in particular started living with um, two gay housemates. (gasps) Um, (laughs) uh, And they had partners and so every time we would go up to visit, I would kind of see those uh, people in relationships and so I they they were kind of also like big brothers to me but mm. I kind of um, saw my first kind of um, representation of what being gay is through them. Wow. And when did you when did you know? At what point were you like, I am not straight? Um, so this is the difficult thing because I that that was in Sydney. I would always go up to Sydney and see them, and you know that kind of was the Sydney world. But then I would go back to Canberra, and my family was very Christian. We went to church every Sunday. We went to Rosary Group every Tuesday. Uh, I didn't know a single gay person in Canberra. Sort of growing up, like that was never part of my experience. Mm. Like I just never even heard of it um, there. Um, I want to say I feel like. My first experience of being like, I think I am different or I like that kind of thing is is seeing queer as folk on TV yeah. by accident. I th- and, I, and I think that happens a lot. Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I, my dad used to love watching SBS, which is the channel I think it was on. And I think it was on, like, he was flicking one night and, you know, it must have come up like two guys kissing. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> I like that. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to put that in the back of my brain and revisit that at another point. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I have no choice but to dive deep into your religious past because I yeah, also uh, grew up Roman Catholic. I also went to church twice a week. I was also an altar boy and went down the whole path. <laughs> yes, um, totally. Eucharistic minister. I did that too. There we things. go. <laughs> now, for people who don't have a, a deep understanding of the Catholic church, there's obviously a lot of nuance in not just... Um, how frequently or how negative the rhetoric is around the LGBTQI plus community. But there's also different types of family who uh, pick and choose elements of the Bible or the larger faith that they will then pass on to their children, right? So you have Christian families who heard on a frequent basis, here are the list of sins, and if you are those things, get out. And then you have other families who, uh, like mine, who were like, you know, we're going to pick and choose a little bit. And when it comes to that particular sin, we don't believe in that. We support all people. What was your family like? Um, I would probably say, unfortunately, they were probably leaning more towards the Mm. that's a sin regardless. Okay. Um, And I feel like when... I would go visit my sister in Sydney. They're were, they were always really lovely to those um, gay housemates. But on the drives back to Canberra, they would kind of refer to being gay as being sick. Yeah. Um, or not actually not, not that they were sick, but that it was sick. Um, and that, you know, m- both of my parents uh, speak English as a second language so that they pro- maybe just didn't have any other words and it was during the kind of AIDS crisis. And so they probably paired those kind of thoughts together mm. without much exploration but um anytime that they would sort of reference it it would it would be being sick what was their original language uh, my dad is dutch and my mum is filipino okay i, I am would, a rare pokemon there you go a beautiful rare pokemon i like <laughs> i like to ask because i'm not naive to the reality of how people find christianity first and foremost but then i guess the second uh, thought that comes to mind is every culture around the world has a very different relationship to kind of what it means to be queer. I I know that there is a beautiful, rich queer culture within the Filipino community, but it, I know it's also thought of, and you can maybe speak on this better than I can, but more of a performance. <laughs> <No>, Go <come> on. <laughs> I've I've heard like, yeah, we know they know a lot of gay people, but it's like an art form versus like they perform as a queer person. I'm interested in like if you have an understanding of. Dutch relationship to queerness or Filipino relationship to queerness? Um, slightly less um, connection to the Dutch side. I mean, du- the the Dutch sort of side of my family, the Dutch people are just generally a little bit more liberal. Like mm. they're kind of a little bit freer and, and more accepting. But you're, you, actually, you actually are um, bang on with that Filipino stuff. Um, I feel like 
and and you've kind of explained it right, but it, it I feel like a lot of the gay people that I because I've been to the Philippines a lot. I used to go every couple of years, um, but the only queer people that I saw in the Philippines were mostly drag queens. Yeah. Like they were mostly just performers on TV shows or, um, yeah, it was, or look, not in that lady boy kind of frame, but I would only ever see sort of very effeminate gay people. So it kind of, Mm. it did, it does sit in that category in the Philippines, mainly because that's, um, sort of their only perception of it because that's, you know, on TV and all of that kind of stuff. I yeah. I never came across or or heard of um you know, just non or just just general queer people living their lives in the Philippines. Like that that was never yeah. something that I came across. I feel like cuz I live my life online and I've become massively obsessed with drag over the last decade, I have been introduced to that concept via uh, Filipino drag queens who say it's actually easier to come out as a drag queen than it is to come out as gay. Absolutely. And I, that blew my mind. Yeah. This concept of like, well, that's an art form. So we can do, the parents would understand that that's a job, but to come out as gay would be far-fetched. Or drag queens who have been doing drag for 10 years and then their parents found out they were gay and they were like, what? Which is crazy. And I feel like maybe it's this kind of um, separation. Like, oh, I'm choosing to dress up as a as a female mm. or like it's a job. Like they can almost understand that as something separate to themselves. Like there is some choice, I guess, in doing that. Yeah. But whereas just being gay is like this is inherently who I am. Mm. I mean, like doing drag is often inherently who they are as well. But um I feel like for a, you know, Filipino family who often are quite Christian, it's one thing to to do something as a job and to kind of dress up and play. It's another thing to be like, this is like deeply who I am. Sure. It actually reminds me so much of the conversation we're having right now in Australia, which is what is the difference between gender, sexuality, and then perf- uh, style, performance, uh, your desire to have your nails painted, not always equaling your sexuality or your gender. And and that one sliver of slice, they're actually bang on that those things can be 100% separate. You can be a drag queen and be straight. Yeah, totally. Mm. So I guess backtracking then, just because I, I love to understand the nuances of like what made young Jeff before that coming out experience. <laughs> it's my guilty pleasure. Um, <laughs> so was, when you realized you were this thing, um, was religion a big part of not wanting to come out earlier? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it it creates this, as I'm sure you understand, uh, having lived that sort of Christian experience, it creates this massive self-hatred, um, which is so damaging and difficult to, I guess, roll out of. Like mm. you you grow up uh, being like, these are the rules and this is this is how the world works under the banner of Christianity. And part of it is if you are gay, you're going to hell, you're sick, you're, you know, you're wrong. Um, and I feel like for a lot of time I was like, you just need to, like, get rid of that part of yourself. Like mm. it, was, it was this whole, I've read diaries that I wrote, you know, when I was younger and there is just so much self-hatred in there. And it leaks into every part of your being. Like you mm. just end up hating so much of yourself. And that took me like years and years, only like I would say easily 29 years for me to kind of roll out of. I'm 32. Like I, I don't feel like I've really kind of undone a lot of that self-hatred until recently. Wow. So yes, I think I think that did um, stop me from, from, I guess, accepting that or, or kind of, um, sitting in that um, queerness when I was younger. I think it's really hard for people who are not religious and are also not queer to understand. Obviously, when you're a queer person, you're walking through the world and you're seeing the way it works. And it starts in your own house. You have a mom and a dad, usually. And so you know, whether it's from sexual education courses, television, reality, whatever, that the dominant way to continue on as human beings is to be a head is to be head I couldn't figure out how to say it heterosexual and so when you know you're not that obviously that's really problematic and hard but it's not like it's constantly reiterated to the average person every single week I don't know on the exact same day in a large room 
the constant reiteration of man plus woman, man plus woman, recreation, purpose of life. And if you're religious, it is. It's it's constant, that language. And so you basically brought me back, and I hope for other people to that time frame where it's not like you have to struggle with it whenever it gets popped up. Like you meet a boy and he's cute and you're like, oh, this is going to be hard. It's like you're constantly sitting with that every single week, a little baby reminder that you are not the thing that is going mm. to save me. You're not the thing that's going to bring me to heaven. Yeah. Do At, at what point um, did you decide, I'm going to share this information with my family? Um, I think, look, I, I am very lucky that I had my two older sisters. Mm. I mean, living, living in Sydney, living the most liberal lives possible. Like, I feel like they, I, I probably wouldn't have come out till much, much later if it wasn't for them. Mm. Um, and even my experience of their housemates, who also, as a side note, were just the most beautiful gay men you'll have ever seen. <laughs> like that that also probably helped. And I was like, wow, they're so attractive. Um, <laughs> I actually came out to those housemates first. Um, I was like, you, everything around me, and my, even my sisters aside, I was like, my family, everything, this, uh, I feel like they you know, wouldn't accept me. I don't even know if I thought about it in those words, but I was like, I can't tell them this because it's wrong. Yep. Um, but these people, they they are like me. Like they know mm. they know this. And so I, and I had their um, mobile numbers. And so I, I think I messaged them maybe when I was like 16, sort of telling them. And now as an adult, if I'm like, if my like nephew or something came out to my housemate, like a hundred percent, they would tell me, even if he was like, please don't tell him, like they would tell me. Of course. So obviously that happened. Um, But my sisters kind of sat with it and obviously looked at my experience and what I was going with. And they kind of, they they tried to coax it out of me, I think in different ways. Um, And then I think there was one night I was, you know, staying in Sydney with a bunch of friends with one of my sisters and me and my sister were kind of staying in the same bed. We were just staying up all night and talking and, you know, talking about my life and all that kind of stuff. And she kind of, she made me feel so comfortable and and, um, okay with the world that she kind of ended up just flat out asking me and and kind of, you know, helped me through that. And that was probably the, the, the first moment that I... So she helped me really understand it and and what I was feeling and, you know, that was probably the first time. And then I reckon that's when I was 18 and then they, I think, coached my dad into asking me because I, I I was just so scared of it. Like of I was course, so, of course. There was, there was so much, um, yeah, as I said, self-hatred in there that I kind of just kept putting it to one side. Um, and so, yeah, they... Hilariously, my dad watched um, Brokeback Mountain and he was like, you know what? I think my daughter's boyfriend is gay. And she was like, and he told her that. Um, and she was like, yeah, look, he's not. Um, <laughs> but you should maybe direct some of that energy a little closer to home. Wow. <laughs> um, it's amazing that he just, because I was also so camp as a kid. Like they... They absolutely would have known, but just ignored it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think they both kind of, without, they they never said that I was, not that I know of, um, but I think they kind of coached him into, like, maybe he is. And so this is probably when I was about 18. Um, I was about to graduate high school and... I went to an all-boys school, an all-boys school that was known for its rugby players and, you know... It was, it was run by a bunch of brothers. So very, very Christian, as in like, mm. you know, religious brothers. Sure. And around, I, I don't know if this happens overseas, but around, in, sometimes around year 10, um, when people go off to, I guess, college, a lot of people change schools or go to, you know, different, different schools. Mm. I continued right through, but all of my friends that I had made obviously like artsy kind of cool creative all went to like creative schools and like did more fun things and I stayed on. So like year 11 and 12, I didn't have that many sort of close friends, especially in my 
house in Australia. We have like little sort of house groups um, just uh, within your your grade. Um, anyway, so I, I didn't have many friends there, but I was like, it's fine. I'll just focus on study and, you know, do my thing. Um, and I didn't want to go to my internal house graduation. I was like, I don't, I don't have any friends there. I don't want to go part, like, you know, party yeah. with all of these rugby boys. It's just not for me. And my dad was really like, what is wrong with, like, what is wrong with you? You have to go to your graduation. Um, and he was really floored by that. Um, mm. So one day he knew my sort of getting ready routine in the morning. And I always, it was like, I always had to pack my bag near his room. Um, and he called me into his room and he did this uh, consciously. He decided to be in his underwear so that he would look vulnerable. Oh, wow. Um, which is like, in hindsight, I'm like, that's so beautiful. I in love mo- that. And it's also <laughs> true. He wasn't wrong. <laughs> really? In the moment, I'm like, this is weird. Like, <laughs> I I thought I thought he was legitimately just, like, getting ready. And he was like, I've had a thought. But later to find out that he'd done it um, mm. to look vulnerable, I'm like, I love him even more. Like, yeah. it's such a beautiful thought to be like, I'm going to be vulnerable when I ask you this difficult question. Um, so, yeah, he called me and he sat me down and he was like... Um, look, I know that you are different to a lot of the boys in your grade. I know that you don't want to go to your graduation. And it really made me think about who you are as a person and and, and what you're doing with your life. And you've kind of never really gotten along with a lot of boys in your school. Like that, that kind of boy is just not who you are. Mm. And so I want to ask you, are you gay? Um, and then I said, yes, and just burst into tears, obviously. Mm. Uh and he just like grabbed me and hugged me and it's the best he's ever been <laughs> like in that moment that like that hug was just like earth shattering for me <sighs> um cuz my dad is like a big burly dutch man mm. <laughs> and to have him just like be really happy for me and hug me and just like make me feel okay in that really stressful moment was like completely earth shattering. Uh, like it, he's, yeah, he was just the greatest in that moment. And he was like, I'm so happy. Like my dad's not very articulate uh, at the most times, but in mm. that moment he was like, I am so happy that you get to be everything that like you are as a person and you can, um, you can be happy and uh, he just understood the weight that that took off my shoulders yeah. um he almost took it too far he was like i'm gonna throw you a coming out party oh. and i was like just okay i'm just out of the closet don't push me out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> put some clothes on and then ask me about the party yeah. please oh a hundred percent wow um I- yeah I got to tell you, this has ruined me. <laughs> this is what, uh, like in the best way. It's. Um... I mean, look, it swings and roundabouts because after that moment, he told my mum and she took it very, very badly. So, mm. you know, it <laughs> sometimes like that was a that was a real shock um, to have him be so great with it because as I said he was a very stoic uh big burly Dutch man mm. um so for him to kind of turn around and just like absolutely be my rock when I was doing my exams and like it's a very stressful time like to have that was was incredible um but then on the flip side my mum took it really badly and I was like inseparable with my mother from the day I was born so for her to take it really badly was also earth shattering. Like I, I literally had this table flip of being really close to my mom for 18 years and kind of my dad was the like dad. Uh, and then when I came out, it just like absolutely flipped and my mom couldn't be in the same room as me. She couldn't look at me. And, and I was like, what is happening? Yeah. Like I just, I, I was all over the shop. And I didn't, I couldn't tell my mum again. I was just so terrified of it um, and terrified of her reaction. My dad actually told her. Okay. Um, like I wasn't there. He, he must have done it while I was at school. Um, but yeah, I experienced the sort of difficulty of that then being in that house. It was really, um, it was a really difficult time to be in that house. Again, 
doing my year 12 exams, like my college exams. And, yeah. and that was just a horrific time. Um, luckily, everyone just kind of like came to my rescue and started to coach her. So obviously my sisters called her, my dad ended up my, I feel like my dad kind of got really aggressive with it. Not, not, not physically, but he was like, what the is wrong with you? Like, this is your son. Like he Mm. just, he could not understand any other reaction. He was probably quite abrupt with, um, with her, do it, taking it badly. He just couldn't understand it. But no one could get through to her. Um, I I don't feel like we spoke or, yeah, she couldn't look at me or be in the same room as me for about two months, I want to say. Um, wow. And I ended up writing her a letter explaining how I feel and, and being like, I wish I could take this pain away from you, but this is who I am. And, you know, just kind of laying it all out because she wouldn't, she couldn't talk to me. She wouldn't be in the same room. So I had to like get through to her somehow. Mm. And none of the coaching was kind of getting to her. So I wrote her a letter. Um, and apparently she wrote one back, but to this day, I've never seen it because oh, wow. my sis, my sister read it first. And she was like, this no. is horrific. Like you'll never see that letter because I think in her a pain and um, I think, you know, English as a second language, it just came out in the worst way possible. Mm. Um, So look, it, it, the only time it got better or started to get better was, look, I think maybe my auntie called her who also had a gay son. Um, And I think maybe hearing from another mother made her feel a little bit more at ease. I feel like one of the biggest things that she felt was that she had failed as a mother, mm. like it was, it was purely reflective of her um, experience rather than me, if that makes sense. Of um, course. And the second thing that helped was she called an emergency meeting with every single one of her friends to come to the house because obviously they hadn't seen her for a while. Wait, why weren't your mom's friends seeing her? Well, obviously, she was so upset. She was just. Uh, living in her room, like she she was in her own personal lockdown. Um, she was she wasn't going to church. She wasn't um, you know going to the weekly rosary group. She was just kind of shutting it all in. Mm. And they all came in. I was at work. I think um, she came out in tears and she was like, "I have to tell you all that Jeff is gay." And they were like, "Oh my god, is that it? We thought you had cancer. Like, what the hell is wrong with you?" Like, uh-huh. everyone's reaction was like, "You are crazy. What? What is this? Like, what are these emotions for? He's he's your son." Like, there was this like mass acceptance, I think, from her friends. Wow, that she was like, "Huh, maybe I haven't failed. Like, maybe this is okay." I feel like just if if she she kind of went into her shell and just looked at her own personal experience. So think of all of that, like, Filipino performance stuff. Like, yep, it wasn't yep. any of that. It was just, he he's not he's not that, he's, he's gay. That all probably came into play. But when she got the experience reflected back in lots of different ways, I think she was finally like, I think he's going to be okay, and I think I haven't failed as a mother. Mm. There's just so much to unpack, but I, I, I first before we go there, I have to just hold space for your dad for just a second. Oh, totally. For t- for a couple reasons. One, it's not the normal queer experience that the dad is the accepting one and the mom is not. Right? Like, it's actually just not a part of our culture that we ever even praise men for those traits of acceptance and empathy. It's well, that's the that's the job of the woman, and the dad can be the like hard, masculine, tough one who doesn't get it. Um, and then there's also the role of a man through the lens of Christianity, and so it's very much like in charge of the home, does the you know brings the money home, wife protects children, takes care of children, and so to hear that story, I think that's why it was so beautiful, hard, emotional to kind of hear on top of hearing the emotion coming from you. It's also just what that represents for a modern man, a modern father. Um, like there's there's so many layers as to why he would be ready or okay, but I think just for anyone listening, it's, it's useful because it, it is a friendly reminder that we don't always know 
We're not, we're not aware of who's going to be accepting or not, who's considering our sexuality or not, who will be there. And love um, often trumps understanding or lack of education. So thank you for sharing that story. Hold space for him. That's beautiful. If you're a young queer person um, listening, struggling, hasn't come out yet, I think it's powerful to know uh, that there can be a man who's just as masculine and powerful and a, and a representative of a modern, beautiful man who is open and accepting and loving for his son. Absolutely. And the thing that I will say, at this again, this is part of the reason why it was so earth-shattering. Prior to this point, my dad was absolutely one of those, he, he guaranteed would have said be a man at some point or like, mm. you know, yelled at or tried to, tried to teach me woodwork or like he was just, you know, sure. the epitome of trying to be a man, like I, trying to instill being a man in me. Um, which is part of the reason why they sent me to an all-boys school yeah. to, you know, be a man, you know, like so again, like following on from your point, it, it was so earth shattering and there is, it is possible even, even if you have a perception of who that person is, like, mm. I think a lot of things change when it's your own, you know, totally blood. Well, also I'm a father, um, a gay father, and I'm still hyper-conscious of what it means to be a man through the lens of being a dad. Uh, f- not just for my son, but for my daughter as well. I'm hyper-conscious of where the world is going, where it has been. And when you become a parent and you understand lineage and you consider your culture and where your family came from and what it takes to be successful as a person, let alone a man, these thoughts start to seep in. What am I providing to my children to ensure that they are prepared, that they are ready? We can argue forever and ever that our relationship to masculinity has been flawed and has failed us in many ways. But I also can understand, again, as a gay father, how I try to consider what tools I can give to my children. And it seeps in unbeknownst to you. All of a sudden you're considering, should I be wrestling with my son? Just to make sure he's strong, you know? I just want to make sure he's strong. You know, like, well, you know, or I think back to my childhood and I go, you know, I got I got tossed around. I was like a young queer kid. Like, life wasn't like shits and giggles. I wasn't skipping with glitter and everyone was like, yay, we're so happy for Sean. You know, so so I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking about how young boys are tough with each other and they fight and they wrestle and they're, whereas women tend to not. And so you try to focus that, like, well, how can I prepare my son for it? I had the thought the other day, I was like, maybe I need to put him in wrestling. I'm like, what? Where does that come from? (laughs) It's a bigger picture, right? It's society. (laughs) And so I can understand it, but I guess it's even just more beautiful to hear that he would have been that person and still hold space for you. Absolutely. He he really just com- t- completely turned the table around. Mm. <laughs> I think by that point he had tried all of those things. Like he tried to put me in sports. He tried to, you know, play rugby. Like all of those things, like teach me woodwork, as I said, like all of those things that he was like, I'm going to try and push him into these things. None of which I enjoyed. Like I was just the most creative camp performing child like I was just like the arts in a child (laughs) so um but bless him he loved to play and there are videos of us you know being kids where he would like be in the skits with us and so as much as he did try a lot of that you know let's say toxic masculine sort of pushing there was also space for the the building up of the the stuff that actually made me who I am. Mm. A wildly creative person (laughs) for a living now. (laughs) Wildly. So that I think is a beautiful kind of bookend um, to the positive response to you coming out. I mean, truly a beautiful blessing. I also will say, you know, how lucky to to not only have your sisters, but have your sisters who have queer friends. I don't think a lot of people have have their coming out story be like <laughs> the first couple chapters of that story have you be texting an older queer person like I know it's great <laughs> how did they respond you remember uh, you know what I don't really remember I have a feeling they were just really supportive mm. um and again I, everyone knew I was gay from the moment I was like three years old so I think 
they probably in their household were like, Jeff finally realized. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I think they were just really supportive and um, they were just, they offered that they were there to talk if I ever wanted to talk. Mm. Um, I think that was it. And also, again, before we get to a deeper conversation about your mom, um, for so many young gay people in this world, queer in general, the whole concept of like, if you can see it, you can be it. Like we don't get to see it a lot. You might see it on television, but usually it's bad. It's like, even queer as folk, like maybe that first episode you saw, I remember seeing that show for the first time when I was young and I was like, okay, so being gay means going to clubs and doing drugs. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And being incredibly thin, which I am not. (laughs) So basically I'm screwed, which is like partially true, but (laughs) not at all. Um, And so to have access to seeing happy people in a in a life where they seem to be just like living a normal existence is really powerful. You're so right, yeah. And I think also growing up in Canberra, like ha- having that Sydney experience that life is actually bigger than your church and, you know, your home life, like there is more out there, mm-hmm. I think was invaluable to me. I don't know if I'm projecting like my own story, but I have to ask you, is it safe to say you decided not to go back to church or did you continue going? No, I definitely stopped going. I feel like I stopped going as soon as uh, I was able to. I think it got to this like peak where I was, uh, I was the leader of a youth group. I was going to like youth group conferences. I don't know if you have that same experience, oh, but I was I like, did. <laughs> "Oh God, you know, is an uh, awesome God you reign!" Don't even, don't challenge me, buddy. <laughs> absolutely. I think it, there was a moment where I was like trying to speak in tongues and I was like, you know what? I reckon I've had enough of this. Mm. Um, and I dropped out of everything immediately. There, wow. I think when I kind of, I got to that peak and I was like, Mm-mm, this isn't my life. And I quit the youth group. I stopped going to church. I stopped going to the rosary group. I was just like, I'm old enough to make my own decisions and I'm not doing any of that anymore. And then I guess, again, as a parent, um, in a motherless household, but uh, I'm hyper-conscious uh, and really aware of that relationship uh, that the mother has with a child because we are void of it. Have you ever had an opportunity to talk to her about that time? Are you guys close now? Um, look, we're much closer. When I say it was earth-shattering, it was like it, it, it took years to recover and I don't think it ever really... Um, sort of got to a place where we ever are back to the same as what we were. Sure. I, I think that's because I found it too painful to bring up mm. um, because it came up again during the plebiscite um, because she wanted to vote no. And I was oh, like, wow. Okay. What? <laughs> like I, it took, it took years for her to even sort of um, register my partners as, as as guys or you know like just to just to say the words when i was 23 she gave me a, a shaver and in the card like electric shaver and in the card she wrote with this shaver i hope you find a nice girl to fall in love with you and i was like i've been out for five years like i think i know that you mean boy you just like can't physically write it like yeah. so wow. i think i've just given her a lot of space um and probably I build my own walls to go, that's actually too painful yep. for me to deal with. Mm. Um, not that I haven't dealt with it. Like we have talked about it and she's, she's you know, beautiful with my partners now and she's very proud of them and she talks about them to, you know, her family back home. Like there is, there's absolutely an acceptance there and I don't feel awkward about it, but we're by no means as close as we used to be. Mm. I, I understand. I, I really think it's powerful that you're, able to articulate it that way because for so many people in this world who are listening who aren't yet out yet the fear of coming out is specifically linked to the parents it's not necessarily mm. scary to imagine having a partner or a boyfriend like for many people long before you come out you're exploring your sexuality and enjoying the euphoria of having a crush or you know experiencing things through sexuality so it's not necessarily that concern and for most young people, especially when we were growing up and starting to come of age at 15, 16, 17, when you're speaking into existence to your sisters or to these um, queer friends that you are this thing, by then it didn't equal death. And so you did, you were like, oh, I might actually find a partner and not die. How great. <laughs> it's still that relationship with the parents, that family. And 
I don't mean this as offense to to this situation, your mother at all. But the one thing as a parent I feel and why it pains me to hear the story is like that's supposed to be the one safe space. The world can be shitty and it is and it will be, but at least you can come back. And so that's like why it's problematic, why it's troubling and why I understand um, that it might be traumatic to revisit. Hmm. I think the difficulty also is we've been through it a few times, um, you know, around topics like the plebiscite, and I I can't convince her otherwise. Yeah. And so there has to be this um, part of you that goes, you know what, I understand that you're... Because it came down to a values thing um, that she was like, this is just how I've been brought up, like, you know, all those Christian values. Like, she is very Christian. Mm. So while she does accept me, she's not... She's somehow not willing to, um, I guess, change some of her value, her own values. And I go, that's, you know, I'm not going, I can't force you to do those. I can't convince you to do any of those things. So for my own protection, I'm just going to, you know, keep that at a distance and accept that that's that's who you are it's it's not it's not the most ideal scenario we wish it could all be you know rainbows and happy families but um there's a there's a level of acceptance on on both sides Mm. it's really a valuable insight because i think for many of us our job as adults as queer people is to to rediscover who we actually are outside of the upbringing of our of our uh of our parents and to be gay is to challenge all of that it's to completely challenge. I mean, I hear you. I get you. Your value, your emotions, your experience. It's like looking in a freaking mirror and going how hard it was to reevaluate all of your values through the lens of who you are. You're like, shit, mom and dad and God and the Bible taught me this is how you're supposed to live and I don't work here. <laughs> and so I respect sometimes, it's hard for me to admit it, but I sometimes I can respect people saying, this is all I know and I'm not willing to walk away from it because I know how hard that was and how traumatic it was for both of us. And it's valuable information, it is, to, to start to put some empathy and heart behind why it's hard for people to even consider it a valuable Absolutely. Option. And don't get me wrong, like, I, I still love my mom and, and, you know, every time I go back, I it, it's, it's a great time, it's never awkward. There is, but there is this level of understanding that, you know, we, there's a, there's a part of both of us that it's like, that's, that's just for you. And that's just for me. And, and we can, but we can put that aside and still actually have a relationship, but that part we'll, we'll probably never solve. So let's just put that aside and like mm. have our relationship. Through the lens of your experience specifically to your mom, I'm interested in if you have advice for parents, if you've thought about that. Because for many parents, I get these messages frequently as a gay parent. They struggle a lot. It is an attack on them and it's an attack on their parenting. It's an attack on their value system and their upbringing. And they don't know how to support their children the way they they know they should. They do know they should. I'm interested in if you've considered what type of advice you'd give to parents. Advice I'd give to parents um, with their child coming out to them. Is that mm, what you're Absolutely, asking? yeah. <sighs> yeah, I, feel, I have thought about it. Um, I feel like the advice I would give is, it's difficult. It's just, you just have to love them in that moment. Um, you don't have to agree, um, but just love them because that moment is probably like, it is currently being seared into their minds. So your like initial instant reaction has to be love. Um, obviously this is your child. You just have to kind of bundle them up um, and make them feel loved mm. because their worst fear is that you're not going to love them. So even if you don't agree um, with what they're saying or, or what they're feeling, put that aside because just in just it for that instant um moment they're telling you um you can work all of that out later but for that first initial moment just make them feel okay mm. and what about for young queer people who have just come out and their family are not accepting what do you want to say to young little jeffrey i think the best advice that i was given was prepare for the worst case scenario um prepare for the thing that you don't want to happen happening because then anything on top of that is a bonus. I feel like I also live my life through the lens of 
sometimes expectation is the master of all disappointment. Mm. Um, so if you go into it thinking, you know, they're going to be great. I, I know my parents, they're going to be great. And they're not. It, it, you, it's so, um, it's so, it's such a high fall. Um, whereas if you go, I'm going to be prepared for the worst to happen. And look, in most cases it won't, but as long as you can prepare yourself for that, you might, you might feel a little more comfortable mm. that you're kind of ready to take on this difficult task. Cause it is difficult. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know many people who have, Actually, like it does happen. It absolutely happens where people are like, it's, it wasn't even an issue. It wasn't even a question. Sure. Um, but. It seems to be a, a, a more modern conversation. Younger people are having better. I mean, imagine coming out to me. Like if my, <laughs> ch- if my children come out of anything, like the lived experience that I have had. And if you think about our generation and then really that, that really that almost that decade of people born, um, all millennial parents, uh, um, and then a couple decades beyond that are better prepared to handle it than we were or our generations of parents. Absolutely. And and I've actually seen that with my own sister and her um, uh, daughter and son. Like, it, I don't think there was ever a moment where they sat down and she was like, I'm a lesbian or I'm bi or whatever. My sister was always like, Do you ever, you know, are there any boys or girls that you're interested in? Like, it was just always part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one day she was like, Oh, yeah, there's this girl I'm interested in. And it just never, yeah. it was never a question. Yeah. It was never like, you have to actually come out to me. It was never a step that had to be taken. It was just part of the everyday vernacular. And modern day parents are from a really young age. Uh, and by age, I mean like in your first year of being a parent or getting up to it. It's a large enough conversation now about what it means to be a good parent that it's shifted. It used to be very much about ensuring that your children have structure, ensuring that they have boundaries and they understand how the world works and ensuring that they are good people and that they can be successful people. And now that conversation seems to have been shifting. And so you get a lot of young parents who don't even know the sexuality of their their kids. The kids are six months old and they're hyper-conscious of what's the language I'm using? What's the clothes I'm dressing them in? Um, you know, to be a teacher right now or be a parent of of uh, teenagers means that you are forced to interact with pronouns. You just are because there's a lot more young people exploring their sexuality and gender. Uh, and obviously, that wasn't the case when you and I were growing up, unfortunately. No. But hey, we're moving <laughs> in the right direction. <laughs> totally. So now for someone who has come out and their parents are struggling. I just don't know how how many other opportunities people are going to get to hear from someone who has had that lived experience. I guess the thing that I found helpful was um, to look outside of that, um, to look outside of that family unit for support. I think it, it it's difficult because I think um, you, you you rest so much value on what your parents think of you. Mm. Um, and I guess probably the other advice I would give is they are they are only dealing with this with the tools that they have available and they might not have the tools to give you what you need. So it's okay to to look for advice and support somewhere else because there are lots there are lots of, Places that you can, you know, especially now with the internet and, mm. and places like minus um, minus eighteen youth and um, you know the world of digital media. Like there is there is support in lots of different places, um, and your value is not completely defined by your parents. Wow, that really resonates. I thank you so much for being transparent and open and honest. I think. This is a really valuable conversation for people to hear. Obviously, personally, I related to most of it, so it's uh, it was therapeutic. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's. A, I appreciate that it's a challenging process to revisit some of those things. It didn't it didn't define you. Uh, you it's a part of who you are clearly. But what you do every day, even if you're not talking about I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay, is showing people. Uh, that you can live a happy, successful life. You can find partner. Um, you can have a wonderful dad who is masculine and supportive. Uh, and and that is you. And this this sharing of a story is just another part of that. So thank you. You're welcome. I think also that's part of um, that's part of something to also keep in mind is that life is so much bigger than your family unit. Like there is so much life out there 
um, so many people out there, if, you know, for one reason or another, they don't accept you, there are millions of people who will. <laughs> um, but that, you know, that's not overly helpful when you are just like, but they're my family. Of um, course. I, to- I totally understand that. Thank you so much for your time. Um, You're welcome. A wonderful, wonderful week. Thanks, you too. How are you guys? How are you feeling? I know that this episode could have brought up some interesting feelings for some of you. And if it did, there are some resources that I think you should check out. So Minus 18 is the first one. They're Australia's LGBTQIA plus charity. They have a bunch of great resources online. They hold wonderful events and they also offer trainings for classroom and workplaces around sexuality, gender, and creating a safe space for LGBTQIA plus people. They're also all over social. Uh, you can follow them at minus one eight youth and you spell out one eight and their website is minus one eight dot org dot au but they are not a helpline so if you're looking for support in that way you can call q life they're at one eight hundred one eight four five two seven they offer a free phone service every day from 3 p.m to midnight um, so if you want to talk to someone about your gender your sexuality your identity relationships any feelings that's a perfect place but If you're feeling really anxious and you're not up to talking on the phone, that's fine. They do have a web chat at qlife.org.au. Lifeline is also available 24 hours a day for crisis support and suicide prevention. So their number is 13 11 14. If you want to be part of the Come Out Wherever You Are community, you can follow us on Instagram at Kawa Podcast. That's C-O-W-Y-A Podcast. You can also follow me. Uh, My handle is at Sean Zepps. That's S-E-A-N-S-Z-E-P. Yes. Come Out Wherever You Are is a community, and I want as many people within this community, the LGBTQIA plus people, allies, friends, curious folks, I want everyone to have access to this powerful network of people. And the best way for that to happen is for you to share. So if you like this, you can share a link in your group chat, text message, put it on your Instagram story, a little swipe up link, do whatever you want to help get the message out there. Come Out Wherever You Are is presented by me and me alone. No one helped me in the creation of the show. I'm kidding. (laughs) My name is Sean Zepps, but there are three wonderful people that we need to shout out. Um, My producer, my number one, Lindsay Green, our executive producer, Jennifer Goggin, and our audio producer is Darcy Thompson. Listener.